unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. And coming up on this week's show, my pleasure to welcome my Nightline Sports Network colleague, Roger Phipps, a.k.a. the Night Bengal. We'll be talking to Roger about his Cincinnati Bengals making it to the Super Bowl. Well, they will take on the Los Angeles Rams. Roger standing by in the virtual green room. He will join us in just a few moments. So, did you hear? Tom Brady retired. <laughs> ah, well, you know, very interesting that, uh, you know, all the all the people who cover the league were falling all over themselves trying to be first to break the news. I know Jason Lockenfora was uh, putting stuff out on Friday and then, but not necessarily a, this is a definite and then, of course, Jeff Darlington of ESPN and his colleague Adam Schefter went full in, having that inside source, I guess, that said uh, Tom Brady was retiring. I wasn't going to believe it until the words came from him directly, which they did today on Tuesday, February 1st. Tom Brady, after 22 seasons, hanging him up. Seven championships, played in 10 Super Bowls. You th- think about this. Almost 50% of his career, he went to the Super Bowl. And about 30, 30% of the time, he was winning a championship. Man, that's incredible numbers. And he's got all sorts of passing records. Pretty crazy stuff there. Uh, that is for sure. But Tom Brady, uh, calling it calling it quits. After uh, getting a couple seasons in in Tampa Bay. And of course, now with this, I guarantee you, no way Aaron Rodgers retires because you know he doesn't want to be at the Hall of Fame ceremony the same year Brady's there to totally overshadow him because Aaron's poor little ego couldn't take it. Now, that's going to happen to Ben Roethlisberger, but I don't think Ben really cares that much in that regard like Aaron Rodgers would. And as someone pointed out to me today... The proximity of Canton to Steeler country will make sure that the black and gold represents very well there. So how about this? It's looking like a very big possibility. Jim Harbaugh will be the Vikings head coach. You know, the Vikings hired a a former 49ers executive. He also worked for the Browns, Kwesi Adolfo Mensa, as their new general manager. And uh, I guess he worked well with Harbaugh. And uh, look out at... uh, Could be Jim Harbaugh back in the NFL on the sidelines in Minnesota. Brian Flores is suing the NFL in three teams, the Broncos, Giants, and the Dolphins for racism. Uh, Evidently, uh, he seems to have gotten a congratulatory message from Bill Belichick on uh, him apparently about to become the coach of the Giants before they went another direction. And Flores alleges that Dolphins owner Stephen Ross offered him a $100,000 bonus per game if the Dolphins keep losing in 2019 to get better draft positioning. Boy, if that is true, oh my goodness. And Stephen Ross is just a clown of an owner. Tony Romo, he struggles at the end of the AFC Championship game. Uh, you know, I'm a big Romo fan, obviously, from his Davis the Cowboys, and he's done a really good job in the broadcast booth, but he was having 
vacillating back and forth between, oh, you know, the the Bengals should let them score so they'll have more time, and Kansas City should down the ball the one-yard line so they milk more time, and no guarantees they'll get in the end zone. Uh, you know, he just had a pretty tough performance there, uh, for sure. So uh, he's getting lit up pretty heavy uh, by Twitter uh, as far as, as that goes, and uh, yeah, like even when Mahomes took the sack, you know, I don't like the sack there. It was like, are you, you kind of undersold that a, a little bit, in that opinion. And I did get the joke, uh, you know, because he was talking about, you know, kicking on third down instead of fourth, because I've seen guys fumble the snap, and he, of course, referring to the infamous drop snap of a field goal when the Cowboys played Seattle in the playoffs. Of course, he didn't... Uh, put it in the context of being the holder. So Nance thought he was talking about the quarterback fumbling a snap. Uh, I got the joke at least, but uh, yeah, <laughs> it, at least, you know, Tony kept the self deprecating part there with him. All right. We are talking Super Bowl as uh, we welcome my Nightline Sports Network colleague Roger Phipps, a.k.a. the Night Bengal. And, of course, the Bengal stands for, you know that, the Cincinnati Bengals going to the Super Bowl. So Roger is here to join us to talk about that. Roger, thanks for being here. Thank you, Jeff, and thank you for having me again. It's always a pleasure to join you. And, of course, on such a joyous occasion, uh, even more so this week. Yeah, look at you. Got got the Bengals jersey on. Uh, you, you, you've been wearing those out, I'm sure, this week, right? Oh, yeah. The, I even threw on the throwback in honor of uh, 33 years of futility that we've overcome. Yes, and I imagine you've been doing the icky shuffle quite a bit, too. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Actually, I haven't um, because uh, the last time Icky Woods played for us, it didn't end well. So uh, <laughs> I'm doing the burrow shuffle right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. So, yeah. So how you I mean, yeah, do the words you still believe the words the Cincinnati Bengals are going to the Super Bowl? <laughs> Uh, you know, to be honest with you, I didn't I wouldn't have believed them this year if you would have told me at the beginning of the season. But uh, now uh, uh, with Burrow uh, leading the way and this team just being able to uh, control the clock and, and win those close games, they've been playing them all season. Uh, I'm a believer, man. Uh, Chargers are going to be a rematch again this year. So uh, it'll be exciting to see. We didn't do so well last time, but I believe in this team and where they're at. And I think they've grown a lot. Yeah, well, you know, it's, a, uh, it's an interesting scenario. You know, the Rams getting to play in their home stadium, but the Bengals are the home team because the AFC is the home team in in this particular situation. So, uh, you know, as the team got into the playoffs, did you know, were, were you cautiously optimistic? Do you feel like, hey, you know, we're playing with house money here because, you know, Kansas City and Buffalo were the, were the favorites. And, and, of course, they, you know, had to – face each other and knock one of those potential hurdles out of the way. How did you feel going in? Well, uh, honestly, I mean, um, to me, the Titans played tough all year. So playing them, they were one of the top teams in the NFL, had a strong running game, had the ability to uh, run the clock towards the end um, and, you know, had a tough defense. So, I wasn't expecting him to rack up nine sacks on us. Uh, you know, I mean, Simmons was a beast back there. He had six, uh, he had six pressures and three sacks on his own, and uh, they were in the backfield all night. Uh, but going into it, um, you know, I, I was glad we were playing the Titans because it would be a tough task to beat Kansas City twice in one year. Uh, 
can't believe I'm saying that, but we ended up doing it. And uh, on their home turf, much to the chagrin to uh, Andrew Fagley, we had just recorded our radio show and we watched the overtime together. So you can imagine how that went. Um, but um, yeah, it, uh, it it was certainly something that, um, you know, I was, I'm glad we drew the Titans, but uh, I felt like we would have actually been better off playing Buffalo. They had the top offense, but our, our secondary is strong. And uh, playing in the cold weather like that, I, I would have rather have played Buffalo than the Titans this year because the Titans have played really, really well. But it didn't turn out that way. Yeah, and uh, and then interesting, you know, you you look at this past Sunday, you know, they're down twenty-one to three. Kansas City has a chance to add even more going into the half, and they totally had an epic failure not getting any points. And of course, you got to give the Bengals' defense some uh, credit in that as well. But uh, you know. You know, two plus possession games in the NFL really, you know, that's not a big obstacle to overcome anymore. But in a playoff situation, it's a little bit different. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're playing the best of the best, right? Offensively and defensively. Um, I did believe, um, you know, KC obviously uh, had a very, very strong offense and um, one of the tops in the league. And I was expecting a lot out of them defensively. Um, you know, I, I thought we could hold our own. Uh, our defense had played tough and really had come into its own the last uh, few games of the season. Um, we were getting pressure. Uh, well, in the second half, we got pressure. Um, but uh, that game, you know, when it's when you get to the playoffs, it was funny. My my CEO, who's also a Bengals fan, uh, he texted me on on one of the possessions. He was like, "Go for two. and I'm like, "No, play it safe." We ended up going for two and, and getting the points right. But when you're in that kind of situation, it's always tight. So making mistakes, whether it be a turnover or uh, whether it be, you know, Patrick Mahomes saying, hey, give me the ball, coach, uh, with a few uh, seconds left there at the end uh, of the first half. When you make those kinds of mistakes and you don't come away with points, it can really, really hurt you. And, and clearly with the second, the, the Bengals have been a second half team the entire uh season so i had confidence in their ability to come back and actually play a lot better uh in the second half and and keep it close um but when you make 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 mistakes like that and i understand why andy reed did it i mean you've got patrick mahomes back there you're right there on the uh you know on the goal line and and it just doesn't happen the Bengals defense uh, did what they did all season they haven't been as great um, you know, in between the 40s, but when they get into the red zone, they, they've played really, really well all season. And um, they made a stand, and I think, you know, with anything, uh, the NFL or college game or anything else, it's a game of emotions. And unfortunately for the Chiefs, and fortunately for the Bengals, uh, that stand, I think, um, you know, was a, that was a pivotal point where it could have gone really, really badly uh, going into the, the second half. Or uh, it could have gone really, really well and gave them something to build off. And I think the latter happened in this case. Yeah. And, uh, you know, let's talk a little bit about Joe Burrow. I mean, what an amazing story he's been. You know, you figure, you know, we know lots of UCF fans harken back to the Fiesta Bowl when uh, he got laid out by Joey Connors. I didn't even think he'd come back and play in the rest of that game, let alone, you know, what he did in that contest. And then to go on and have one of the spectacular if not the best quarterback college football season ever becomes a you know the top draft pick you know gets hurt in his rookie year you know and to see that he's now led his team to the super bowl 
What an incredible story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I 100% was angry that the uh, college football, I mean, listen, when I watched that game, when UCF played, right, and, and I was watching that game, uh, Burrow comes back, they knocked him out. I mean, he literally was KO'd. They brought smelling salts out and put him under his nose. I don't know how college football allowed him to come back and play that game. Right. Uh, so, you know, whatever. Uh, I was I was extremely frustrated and angry at that time with Burrow. It was one of those guys. I was just like, I hate that guy. He looks like Macaulay Culkin and he comes <laughs> back and beats us. Right. And then, uh, you know, y- you're right. He comes back. He has a phenomenal season the next year, wins the national championship, Heisman Trophy win- winner, and then the Bengals draft him. So I'm like, OK. Well, I've seen that he's a good quarterback. And what I really like about him is that he's he, he's pretty even keeled. He does, and not much uh, bothers him. Right. And um, so we draft him and then he he tears his ACL the first season. Typical Bengals. Right. We get the we get the first round draft pick and something happens. Icky Woods, you mentioned. Right. Uh, and there's been a slew and string of them. I mean, even Tyler Eifert going back to the tight end, uh, highly rated tight end. He was playing really, really well for us, for us. And then he kept getting hurt. And it seems to be uh, up to this point. I hope this season breaks the curse has been a, um, you know, a, a point of contention for us and just something that's always happened. And so now he comes back and he's coming back from the ACL. And anytime you come back from an ACL tear, it's like, OK, what are you going to get out of this quarterback? Right. He's a big, strong, physical guy. He likes to play physical football as a quarterback. He likes to use his body. You saw him run against Kansas City. That was something that was in his playbook. And, um, you know, you didn't know what you were going to get coming back. And, and, you know, as a Bengals fan, I wasn't expecting much. But um, I did have faith because he had recovered so quickly and he'd been so... um, visible uh with his recovery and you know the things that you saw him do in the timelines that he was doing them it 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 looked like uh he was recovering well and and he did so you go from you know oh that guy who we played in the fiesta bowl right even coach O, you know i mean if you could understand him he he came out with a tweet a couple weeks ago where he said yeah He was a completely different quarterback after he got knocked out. He's like in that game and after that game and in the next season and now as a Bengal. So it was like as a night fan, you're like uh, the running joke, uh, obviously. And there may be some truth where it was that was and Coach O said this, too, who was the coach at LSU at the time. He said that was the difference for Joe Burrow. And so. Uh, I think he demonstrated his toughness and and clearly it's it's paying dividends for us now as a Bengals fan. So it, it's completely I've gone full 360. And uh, the interesting thing is, uh, I think uh, Apple said this the other day because he's a cornerback. He, he came to us um, out of free agency. And he said that what's going on around the league right now is they're watching Joe Burrow and he's got a reputation for being tough, being a winner and uh, and rallying the team. And so uh, what's happening is kind of like what, what you see in the NBA when, when folks kind of cluster around superstars, right? Mm-hmm. And legitimately what's happening in the free agent market is people are recognizing him as a superstar. And so they're starting to come through free agency and come to the Bengals, which I hope they help us with the offensive line because that's really what we need. Yeah, you know, and, and to think at the beginning of the season, you know, you know, Cleveland was such a trendy pick. 
um, and and you know so the the neighbors in state were were highly thought of and you and you look at the fact that the Steelers and the Ravens are in that division uh, you know you, you look at the fact that they those eight games or those six games rather you know those are tough games to win just alone <laughs> and then to see what they have done and how they've progressed through the season and being a second half team uh you know it, it really is remarkable yeah and and you know it, it's funny that you mentioned those teams because we lost to the browns both times mm-hmm. uh we played them twice we lost 21 16 in the second game in the first game they beat us 41 16 now the Ravens have always been a bugaboo for us, as have the Steelers. I mean, that's that's they've run the AFC North for a while. We've had a few playoff appearances in between. Uh, Roethlisberger is getting up there in age. Obviously, this was his last season, and UCF fans, if you're out there, also know Ben Roethlisberger because he his last game in college was against UCF. He was playing for Miami, yep. uh, not University of Miami, uh, Miami of Ohio. And uh, that was in uh, in the dark years of UCF football and absolutely curb stomped us. So, um, you know, we we played Roethlisberger every year. He's he was on the downtrend. The Steelers in disarray. Uh, Lamar Jackson went down for Baltimore this year, um, who was uh, an MVP recently. Right. So um, it's always going to be a tough division. The Browns have come on. They beat us twice. Uh, I didn't know what to make of this team because we stomped Baltimore and beat them both times, right? And then we lost to the Browns. It's like, what are you going to get out of this team? And it just seems like they've continuously gotten stronger, right? Um, They played Green Bay close earlier on in the season, uh, lost by a field goal in overtime then. That was extremely frustrating. Um, You know, the Bears beat them uh, in a close game, 20-17, to Um, so, and then the dolphins 29, uh, 26 in preseason. So you never knew what you were going to get. Right. Um, but this team just seems to have gelled and gotten stronger and, and just played, uh, together as the season has gone on. And I think the, the big difference maker is, uh, Joe Mixon and his ability to milk the clock, um, because the Bengals like to play time of possession when, when, when games get out of hand, it's very difficult for them um, to establish a running game because people will just clock them, right? And their strength is if they keep it close and that defense plays well, uh, towards the end of the game, um, uh, they, can, they can ride Joe Mixon to a victory. Yeah. And now let's look at the Super Bowl. You know, they're going to face a tough Rams team. Um, and interestingly enough, Zach Taylor, your head coach, is from the Sean McVay tree. So there's not going to be much in the way of secrets uh, going on here uh, between these two teams. Uh, interesting contrast. You know, you you look at a guy like Matt Stafford, who languished in Detroit, always put up tremendous numbers, but never had the team around him. And now he's got a, a, a slew of studs around him uh, with the Rams. Uh, what are your thoughts on the game initially? Is we still got you know almost two weeks to go? Well, there's a there's a few things that uh, cross my mind. They just beat a tough San Francisco team, which we just lost to, uh, or that we lost to earlier in the season in another yet another close game. Yeah, and the 49ers um, were the team I thought nobody wanted to play because they were kind of yeah. just very sneaky, you know. Strong defense. They had George Kittle, um, you know, as a as a safety valve, and and the running game has been really really strong. Um, so you watch that Chargers game, and um, what I saw out of that Chargers game, 
Um, you know, that truly was a game of mistakes. That, that could have gone either way. Had they had they made that pick, the game was over. We would have been playing the 49ers. And that's actually what I was hoping for. <laughs> because the only two Super Bowls that we've been in have been against the Niners. And uh, I was hoping for some payback on that. And my brother, consequently, um, and it's a long story, which we don't have time for tonight, is a Niners fan. And so you can imagine the... Uh, uh, the not so gentle ribbing I've been getting over the years as him being a Niners fan and me being a Bengals fan, right? My dad's a Bengals fan. Our family's from Cincinnati, et cetera. Um, but uh, I was hoping to play the Niners and beat the Niners in the Super Bowl just to kind of vanquish that 1988 and that 1980, I believe it was one or a three, 83 uh, losses to, uh, to the Niners. So um you know, that happened as far as the Chargers are concerned. They've got the um, or the Rams, excuse me. I don't know why I keep saying Chargers. The Rams are concerned. Uh, as you said, Matt Stafford has a good arm on him. He can air it out. Um, they've got some really, really good receivers. Um, that was I think Cooper Cup display. may be the best guy, receiver in football. Right. Definitely now. the most underpaid. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, you know, that guy's setting records. Um, and uh, he's actually he's what makes him interesting is he's got good burst and, and speed, but he's still a, a bigger guy. Right. So he can uh, got great hands. Um, he can beat you in one on one situations. Um, and uh, he his route running ability is actually pretty crisp for what what you would see in that type of receiver. Um, so, you know, he's going to be a tough matchup for whoever, uh, we put on him. I don't know if we're going to double team him, um, or, or what, um, we've been playing, uh, you know, when we played KC, we played a lot of zone, uh, in the first half. And then, uh, we were able to make Mahomes uncomfortable in the second half, which was also, uh, you know, our success when we played, uh, against the, um, the Titans. So it'll be really, really interesting to see if they're going to blitz or they're going to sit back in zone. I'm going to guess they're going to sit back in zone because they've been doing that a lot with good, uh, good teams like that, but they've got a good running game. Their defense is also solid. So this isn't a team that's a one trick pony. It's not, Hey, I'm just going to be able to air it out. Now, Matt Stafford isn't very mobile, um, but he's got a strong enough arm that if a play by, uh, breaks down, um, you know, he can zip it in uh, the middle of the field across the body or, you know, throw a long throw without setting his feet completely or, or just having a very short throwing motion. So uh, we're going to if we choose to pressure him, we're going to have to pressure him um, and get him on the ground and get in his face because he's a very, very talented quarterback with a lot of arm strength. Um, you know, so for me, it's going to be to me, the defensive front and the, and the defensive backs versus Cup and Matt Stafford. Um, if, we can, if we can get pressure, that takes care of the running game because they, they like to go through in between the tackles. And then it'll flip, flip the, uh, the scenario uh, the other way. Now, you, you mentioned uh, the, the, the nine sacks that uh, was given up against the Titans. The Rams bring a bring a pass rush, so uh, that's going to be a concern for your offensive line. I trust. Yeah, um, they performed way better. I don't know what they said uh, after that game, other than you can't put Burrow on his back every play. Yeah, um, but uh, they performed much better against Casey, who has some uh, pretty good uh, players on their defensive line as well. Um, so I'm hoping we see that that uh, KC offensive line uh, versus. Um, 
versus the Rams. So it, it'll be really, really interesting to see because that's the key to the game. I mean, the game of football is one in the trenches, whether mm-hmm. you're talking about the defensive line or you're talking about the uh, offensive line on the defensive side of the ball, your defensive backs can give your defensive line more time to get after the quarterback, but the offensive line has to give him time um, because that allows the running game uh, to open up. And it allows Joe Burrow to do Joe Burrow things, which is throw the ball very accurately on the deep pass. There's not a lot of middle of the field stuff. We just lost our tight end in that game, uh, in that last game, who's been phenomenal for us all year and has really been the safety valve for Joe Burrow. Without him in the game, he's going to have to rely on on uh, one-on-one matchups um, and he's going to have to rely on, on uh, deeper passes, which means he needs time. Um, so if he can get time, that'd be great. The old, the one thing that Burrow brings to the table, which was kind of on display uh, against Kansas City, is he has escape ability. He's got a big body, so he's hard to get down, and he can run the ball. So um, if if a play breaks down and he recognizes, and what's been different more recently is he's recognizing when a, a play breaks down. Traditionally, in in the NFL, you want uh, someone to climb the ladder. But in this case, he's recognizing it earlier and escaping the pocket and going and picking up eight or nine yards because you can't cover everybody. We've got mm-hmm. some great receivers out there, T. Higgins, um, you know, and, and the supporting cast. And and you can't Jamar Chase, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Jamar Chase, I mean, another LSU guy, right? Uh, came out the, the next year after Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow played with him. They, uh, you know, uh, Chase had a great game um against um the chiefs the first time and t higgins this time had the better game against the chiefs so there there's really a dual threat out there for him to go to yeah so uh what do you think uh, if you if you had if you had to mortgage the house on 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 picking the Bengals, would you do it would I mortgage the house? Yes. I mean, it's the first time in 33 years that we've been to the, bank, uh, the Super Bowl, right? Do I think we, we're now set up to be able to do this more frequently? Yes. However, yeah, I would mortgage the house. And here's why. Um, you know, when I look at this game, um, I believe the secondary is good enough. What we've got in the secondary is good enough to contain, not, not completely contain, but uh, limit the amount of damage that Stafford is going to be able to do through the air, right? So if we get pressure, um, I I think we'll be in good shape, and I think we'll have time to do that. He's not one that's going to be like Mahomes, where he's twirling around and doing 360s and pirouettes and you know running on both sides of the field before you get him down, right? Uh, So I think our secondary is good enough to handle him. Our linebackers have got good speed, so they can cover the middle of the field. Uh, I like that. And I like um, what Burrow can do. I, I, I believe he's, got, he's one of those guys, you know, that never gives up. He's got that mentality. And it reminds me a lot for UCF fans of Mackenzie Milton, right? There were, or, or Blake Bortles for that matter. There were a lot of tight games on that 2017 team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were a lot of tight games on that 2013 team, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, you had, uh, the Hale Perryman, you had, uh, the temple catch, uh, you know, with JJ Wharton yep. with the one handed grab, those were all like, uh, that season could have gone way differently than it did. And I see a lot of that in Burrow, right? I, I see a lot of that determination. They've been used to being behind. They played in a lot of tight games 
And I feel like the way that the Rams played against the Niners against a good defense, that game was not won until the end. And if it's a close game, I like our chances. And, and, and McPherson, too, the kicker. You never yeah. talk about kickers. Yeah. But this kid's from Florida. He came here last year. You know, he's a, he's a, it's his rookie season. And uh, um, if I'm not mistaken, um, he hasn't missed one. So not, not uh, in the playoffs, no. No. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. I, and we're talking 50, 54 yard kicks. And I mean, it looks like he has plenty of leg to do it. So if it's a close game, I think we have the weapons to win. We have a stout running game. We can air it out if we need to. And um, I, I like our secondary to be able to uh, contain Stafford only because he's not really a mobile quarterback that's going to hurt you with his feet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we'll uh, definitely be entertained come Super Bowl Sunday one way or the other. That's for sure. So uh, uh, I, I have to say I'm rooting for the Bengals in, the, in this in this particular case. I mean, I don't dislike the Rams in any super fashion, but uh, I think the Bengals are a great, a great story. And of course you, you can kind of see behind me uh, my Braves, you know, Uh, you know, uh, have have been denied for a long time, you know, winning a championship. So, you know, I kind of see the Bengals being a very similar type of story there. So that uh, it's funny. It's funny that you mentioned that because uh, I have never seen so many Bengals fans uh, since the playoffs. It, 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 you know, it, it used to be, you know, I've got my starter jacket from when I was in middle school, right? I'm a 40 year old guy now, right? So uh, I've I've still got my Bengals starter jacket, uh, and no, I don't keep clothes that long, but it's my Bengals jacket, uh, one of them, and you know, it's it's just kind of like a keepsake. But uh, there's so many people that knew that I was a Bengals fan that have said something to me like, I'm rooting for them just because, uh, you know, they haven't won and they're that Cinderella story that you always hear about. And Stafford, honestly, there's a lot of people, even uh, like my neighbor's a Lions fan, a lot of the Lions fans, a lot of the other fans, they're rooting for Stafford because he didn't get a chance uh, while he was playing with the Lions and, and at that organization. So it's really, really interesting because you kind of got two Cinderella's in the sense that you've got the whole Bengals organization and then you've got Matt Stafford on the other side who really deserves... I mean, honestly, if it wasn't against us, I'd be rooting for Matt Stafford just simply because of that. Yeah, you know, and, and the Rams have gone the route of, you know, trying to acquire the superstars to get it done. The trade for Von Miller, signing, you know, getting, getting the trade for uh, for Beckham. Uh, you know, so, you know, they've taken a different tact you know, through the course of the season to try to get where they're going. And so far, it is uh, it is paying off for them. So, uh, of course, uh, we are colleagues of the Nightline Sports Network. So I wanted to get you get some thoughts from you on the enigma that is UCF basketball. Uh, oh. You know, this is a team that, you know, has looked, you know, tournament worthy in, in some spots and in others, just completely lost (laughs) um so i guess the question would be are you johnny dawkins positive or johnny dawkins negative Ooh, uh there's a lot wrapped up in that question or johnny dawkins neutral which i (laughs) i i i don't i don't i don't necessarily want to say i'm negative uh but i i what i want to say is johnny dawkins is making progress on the recruiting trail which i like uh, I like that he's a defensive-minded coach. Um, I just never get the feeling that Johnny Dawkins is going to get us over the hump. I feel like 
Uh, you know, yes, we played against Duke and had that last minute uh, uh, tip that didn't go in. And, you know, and we were so close. I mean, that would have been historic for a number of reasons. Obviously, Dawkins played there and, you know, uh, his kid was on the team and had the layup at the end. And, you know, all the all the storylines uh, that were there. But um, I feel like Dawkins is going to be a guy who can keep us contention for tournament bids, but that's not what UCF is looking at now, and especially that we're staring down the barrel of Big 12 basketball. Um, you know, that's, that's not a big enough story in this narrative that's being talked about, which is Big 12 basketball, four out of five or five out of six uh past seasons have been the number one conference at the sec of basketball uh and so we're not you know we're not going into a conference that's going to be a cakewalk i just don't see dawkins helping us make the jump uh to consistently do that now he's been handicapped i mean obviously we lost we had injuries uh, back with Taco Fall and BJ Taylor, it never seemed like we could have a, a complete team on the roster. Then we were dealing with transfers in and out. Now he's got this super senior team that has all the talent in the world, uh, has demonstrated that they can play that they need to play, has young talent on it. Darius Johnson's coming on. Um, you know, um, I, I don't know what happened to last year's Mr. Basketball, Mr. Adams. I mean, he's just forgotten how to play. Um, and, uh, you know, what we've got is we've got a team uh, that plays really good defense, um, struggles sometimes on rebounding. Um, and um, when, we, when we're on with the three-point shooters like Brandon Mahan and Green, um, you know, I mean, it's lights out. You can beat anybody. But you cannot, when, when, uh, when teams push us out to the line and then defend the three-point line, we don't have enough of an inside presence. And, and Johnson is learning how to uh, penetrate and dish, but he's not there yet. And because of that, um, you know, this team has underperformed, in my opinion, because we're one-dimensional offensively. Defensively, we play extremely well. Offensively, um, you know, I, I think we tend to be one dimensional if you and, and let's let's face it, you're not going to shoot 50, 60 percent from behind the arc every game. Yeah. When you yeah. do, you have big numbers. You look great. You look like the team that beat Michigan. Right. Uh, and then, you know, then you have games like the cows uh, from <laughs> South Florida uh, that are not from South Florida. Uh, but, um, you know, when you play that team and for those of your listeners who don't know UCF Jarkin that well, uh, that was a dig at our, our, our Brahmin bull brethren from the, uh, West central Florida region. Um, (laughs) they, um, you know, they, they housed us. I mean, they really, really did. And this team had no business being housed by, uh, USF. And that's Mm -hmm. not, that's not taking anything from USF. It's just when they're off, they're off. Yeah. And uh, you, you've got to have, you got to be able to penetrate the paint to be able to overcome that. Yeah. You know, yeah. Living and dying by the three is, is, is you know, and then I look at a couple of scenarios too. You know, Brandon Mahan, I think has his cold streaks to his hot streaks run three to one. <laughs> and, and I think he should be benched when he's chucking up 
and not making shots because because they're they're often very quick, uh, not not getting good possessions for getting good shots, and and kind of going back to the Dawkins thing, I do agree with your sentiment. Um, you know, because I like the way he has progressed the program. I mean, he is he is he is he has raised the level, but is he going to get us to to that next level? Uh, you know, that's I think the big question. But then, you know, I also don't like sake just for the sake of change. You know, who's who's the guy you bring in? You know, I don't know of the next up and comer that we want to target just yet. Uh, you know, that's a, I think it's a, I think, I think it's a real, uh, real conundrum, especially as you said, you, you're going to the big 12, you know, which by the way, has the defending national champions. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's going to be a much bigger, bigger lift uh, when that day comes. Yeah. And, you know, to your point, uh, the teams that have been successful, when you look at SMU, when you look at Houston, they haven't brought in up and comers. They've brought seasoned coaches that might have had some NCAA violations uh, and have, may have continued those at those programs. But you've brought those coaches in, and those are the coaches that are successful. I mean, you look at Samson, you look at look who's there. And then you've got people like Penny Hardaway, right, at Memphis. And look what happens there. He's a young coach who hasn't, uh, you know, he had AAU ball that was going before, right? And then he comes into the college ranks and his name, uh, Orlando fans will know Penny Hardaway. I mean, it's Penny Hardaway, right? Um, And, uh, you know, he brought the recruiting. He brought the passion. He played at Memphis. You know, he brought all those things and season ticket holders. What he hasn't brought is the experience. So, you know, can you find... Uh, especially in college basketball where, uh, you know, in the era of uh, name, image, and likeness and, uh, you know, Adidas and others paying, uh, you know, for players per se, there was a big FBI investigation that we're not talking about right now. You know, (laughs) all these things that are happening in basketball and these AAU teams that are also funded by those same brands, right? Um, One, UCF's brand as a basketball program is not on the same level as the football program, right? Right. Can you turn around a basketball program quickly? Yes. But look who does that. It's the folks like Bruce Pearl or like any of these guys that are known quantities that may have had some trouble at their last stop that come in and uh, they quickly turn the program around. So I don't think, uh, to your point, that there is a up and comer that we could find to fill that role, jumping from where we are today, which the AAC is not a bad basketball conference. No, it's, it's a it's top a, seven basketball conference. Yes. So, you know, there's a lot more basketball teams than there are football teams. So, you know, put some perspective on that. There's over 300 basketball teams in Division One, right? Um, and you're talking about a top seven conference with the final four team last year. And, you know, which state has always been tough since we can't ever beat them in men's basketball. <laughs> uh, you know, Tulsa is tough for us. Uh, Houston is a great program. SMU has been uh, resurgent lately. Right. So you've got a lot of really good basketball that's being played in the AAC, which is unfortunate because, uh, you know, it's projected to be like a two bid league at most this year. Right. Mm-hmm. which is, I don't think, reflects the quality of basketball in the league. No. But we're jumping from the AAC, not to disparage it, to the Big 12, which is the number one league. That'd be like jumping from, to me, um, 
you know, that'd be like from jumping from the AAC to the SEC, yeah. right? You're not going to be able to do that consistently. We can beat Florida. The top teams can beat any one of those teams that are in those other Power Five conferences. But it's like playing Alabama every year and Georgia every year, right? Are we, uh, are we going to be able to beat them consistently? Probably not. We may steal one here or there, but it's going to take a while for our program to catch up in facilities and in support and uh, you know the, the quality of player that we can get to be able to compete consistently. Now, again, consistently. West Virginia had a great basketball team in the old Big East, and you saw how mightily they've struggled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and yeah, and you're, and you're talking about, and you're talking about Kansas, one of the blue bloods of college basketball. Oklahoma has their moments. I mean, there are, yeah, there's, there's just going to be, there's just going to be Baylor. a big struggle. Baylor, yeah, the defending champs. Baylor, I mean, defending mm-hmm. champs. I mean, you've got ISU that plays well. I mean, there's no pushovers in the Big Twelve when it comes to basketball, at least not that I'm aware of. Texas Tech plays good basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and these teams aren't going away. Yeah. Uh TCU has had their moments uh in basketball as well. They have a consistent team right now that's playing really, really good basketball. Oklahoma uh, State, be another Oklahoma one. Oklahoma yeah. State. I mean yeah. we're going through the entire roster here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's not very many weak teams. Yeah. So yeah. Dude, yeah, know, it, it's going to be a tough jump. Yeah, it, it certainly is. So yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to see uh, uh, what happens. You know, I think I think Terry Mahajra has to be considering these things as we go down the line. You know, unless unless you know uh, Dawkins can you know, I mean, they're going to have to win the conference tournament if they want to make the dance now at this stage. And and as we've seen. Well, here's- the AEC tournament's a hard, hard one to win. <laughs> well, yeah. And, you know, here's the thing, you know, if we're projecting out, right, everything points to 2023 as being our, our, our season to join the Big 12, right? Mm-hmm. Dawkins, I believe, has two years on, left on his contract, right? This team is going to lose a lot of senior-level uh, talent next year, okay? So that means, we've yes, we've brought a lot of talent in, Right. Uh, And that talent is it usually takes a year or two to gel and really, um, you know, hit their stride as a team. Um, And yes, there'll be transfers that come in that will help augment that. But again, it takes a little bit for you. If you watch a basketball team that's full of transfers, what ends up happening? The first part of the season, they play like they don't know each other. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. At the end of the season, they figured it out. And then the next season is when you really see their potential. So at this stage in the game, that lines up with uh, Johnny Dawkins' contract. And next year, I think, is going to be tougher for us um, in the AAC. And I don't think that bodes very well for Johnny Dawkins, honestly, in his future at UCF. Great man. Uh, I've met him several times. His wife is phenomenal. I think he's a, a good basketball coach, a solid defensive coach. I just don't think he's the guy to take us into the Big 12 in the number one conference in the country and have us win there consistently. So whether it's two years from now, three years from now, four years from now, whatever it is, I feel like there will be another coach at UCF that will have to take us to the ne- to that next level. Yeah, and you look, too, uh, when he was at Stanford, you know, he got them to a Sweet 16, uh, but then that was their ceiling. You know, and, yeah, and they, they were 
they were a 500 club the rest of the time. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, it's something definitely uh, worthy of keeping keeping the eyeballs on. That's for sure. So, well, Roger, please, uh, some shameless plugs as, uh, of course, uh, we are colleagues at the Nightline Sports Network. Uh, tell the folks uh, how they can follow you and uh, and your fine work. Thank you so much. Um, uh, as you as you said, we are part of the Nightline Sports Network. You can find that anywhere uh, where podcast uh, platforms are available. Um, Apple, uh, Spreaker, everywhere. So uh, just search Nightline, the Nightline uh, Sports Network, and you can find our work. Uh, you can also tune in to the radio show, um, uh, Nightline at Night. That's every Sunday at 5 p.m. on uh uh, WDBO 580 as well. Um, uh, so we're on the AM and the FM dials uh, on the airwaves. And then, uh, of course, we've got the the original Nightline podcast that started all uh, that we also uh, put out there. And, and all of those shows, uh, the replay from the radio show are also out there. You can find me uh, at Nightbangle um, and you can find us on Twitter and Facebook um, under the Nightline Sports Network. Outstanding as always, and uh, we appreciate you being here, and uh, we'll uh, give you a go Bengals uh, uh, going out the door. I'll give you a hootay and a nobody. <laughs> All right, Roger. Thanks again, man. My pleasure. Central Florida, we're back. It's the second annual Apopka International Jazz Fest, starring the iconic Jeffrey Osborne. Jeffrey Osborne. With special guest Hiroshima, saxophonist D. Lucas, and Grammy Award winner Nestor Torres. Saturday, March 19th at the luxurious Apopka Amphitheater. Early bird tickets on sale. For complete details and tickets, log on to apopkainternationaljazzfest.com. Jeffrey Osborne. Get your tickets now. All right, as we close things out uh, with our TV theme, I'm actually going to go two for a twofer on this one. And I know in recent weeks the TV theme has kind of centered around being a uh, a salute to a famous celebrity that has passed, and this time will be no different. As Howard Hessman, who played the great Doctor Johnny Fever, one of the most iconic television characters. In sitcom history on WKRP in Cincinnati, passing away at the age of 81. Uh, what a truly remarkable uh, 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 character he played. And uh, yeah, it, what, what a great show that was. It was a tremendous ensemble cast, and he was a, a, a big part of it. He was actually a DJ at one time in his career and used that ability to you know even uh, kind of uh, do some riffs on his own off-script uh, so uh, uh, a lot of what you see him doing there uh, was some off-the-cuff stuff. And uh, so as uh, we do that, we're going to play, of course, you know, we I've done WKRP as a TV theme a couple times on the show, but I never miss a chance to play because it's also one of my favorite TV theme songs. Let's hear it. Let's go. 
Cincinnati. And of course, Howard Hessman also went on to star in Head of the Class on ABC in the late 80s, 1986 to 1991, the series following a, a group of gifted students in the Individualized Honors Program, the IHP at fictional Millard Fillmore High School in Manhattan, and their history teacher, Charlie Moore, played by Howard Hessman. And actually, uh, he he left the series after four seasons in 1990 and was replaced by uh, Scottish comedian Billy Connolly. And uh, also with that cast was Harold Samuels as William G. Schilling, the high school principal, and uh, Bernadette Mira, uh, played Janetta. I'm sorry, William G. Schilling played Harold Samuels. Janetta Arnett played Bernadette Mira, the vice principal uh, of the school. And also in that cast, some interesting names here uh, as we look at Leslie Berga, who played Maria Borges. Dan Frischman played Arvid Engine. Uh, Robin Givens, this is where we first uh, saw her on the scene, uh, playing Darlene Merriman. Uh, Kristen Hage as Simone Foster. Uh, Joy Hussein uh, playing Ja Harlarl Chaudhry. Tony O'Dell played Alan Pinkard. Brian Robbins played Eric Mardian. And Kimberly Russell playing Sarah Nevins. So, head of the class. We're going to run out the show with that one as part of our tribute to the late, great Howard Hessman. And as always, thank you for listening. And with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Allen underscore 88, on Facebook at Jeff Allen 88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer's Cell is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.